The Out of Time Podcast is brought to you by brothers whose relationship was forged together by watches. Each episode will be a conversation with people we find fascinating from all walks of life. Welcome to the episode. Oh my God, it's all, it's all exact same. It's all in the factory. Who, who am I speaking with? Josh Hacker. Josh Hacker, which That's is right. your dad is... Correct. Nicholas Hacker, and uh, I'm a fourth generation watchmaker, and dad's third generation. Uh-huh. And we started watch manufacturing in Sydney, Australia. Three years ago. What's the name of the company? Nicholas Hacker Watchmaker. So what are we looking at here in this facility? So this is a basic watch manufacturing facility. In this facility we produce currently around 50 to 60 percent of our caliber where we subcontract out the other 40 percent but with the machinery in this facility uh, we can produce up to 90 percent. So the other kind of maybe 30 to 40 percent, that's uh, R&D. So that's kind of where we're going. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. in three years time, we've um, produced a large portion of the caliber. And uh, yeah, that's about, that's about it. What is this machine I'm looking at right now, which I'll take a picture later. <laughs> it's a U332J. What is this uh, that's right. machine? Um, what is well, this it looks is, like there's some sort of thread. Or? That's right. If you guys can learn about it. Uh, this is called a wire EDM machine. And currently, if you kind of look from right on this angle, you can see a tiny little spark that's happening. If you look through there, submerge a little on light. The bottom, under the... Yeah, it's just... It's, it's actually fluid, extreme. right? This is a cutting fluid? Well, it's water. It's dielectric, oh, it's just dielectric fluid. water. Yeah. Okay. So it's completely removed from ions. And what's actually happening is that this brass wire is being fed through the machine and kind of down and out. And that brass wire is electrified. It's about 100 volts and a fraction of an amp. And as that wire is coming through and uh, interacting with the metal, just before it touches the metal, it creates a spark, a little lightning strike yep. between the wire and the metal. Right. And that causes the metal to literally evaporate from, from the block and you end up with a, a very high precision cheese cutter or a bandsaw. So if you can imagine something yeah. like, a, uh, like a big block of Parmesan cheese yeah. and you're dragging a wire through, right. exact same thing. And what are you using that for, Josh? So, sorry. <laughs> we, um, there's probably three main uses for the machine. The first is manufacturing cutting tools, so tools uh, used to cut material in the watch, so brass, titanium, all that sort of stuff. You can use this machine to create the geometry of the cutting tool. The second use is uh, in prototyping watch parts. So sometimes watch components are made in uh, stamping presses, and those stamping presses, you know, it might cost around forty to fifty thousand dollars for one die set. And uh, to forego the tool cost, you can use this machine to make a prototype. The downside is the machine's very slow. It takes, you know, maybe a couple of hours to cut a profile out. Um, so, so, if I, if I, so with modern technology, could a 3D printer be saving you all this space? No, unfortunately not. No. So the precision generated by the machine is completely in another league. So we talk about a micron here, which is a one thousandth of a human hair. Right. Oh, so for a millimeter. Yeah. Which is about a hundredth of a human hair. And this machine is capable of producing forms and contours of less than a micron. 3D printer, the layer height between each layer that you're generating, kind of in industrial 3D printers is maybe 20 or 30 micron. So impressive. Man. The, the machine the machine itself is very accurate, but also the process of, of um, using electricity to cut instead of a force to cut is very accurate as well. And you couldn't outsource this part? It doesn't look like a much like an exciting part of watchmaking. It looks no. like a bit of a wagon thing. You couldn't outsource something you wouldn't you wouldn't outsource this part? Um, well no one in Australia does it okay. to the tolerance that we need. So we we tried at the very start of our whole process we tried outsourcing all of the factory operations to someone within Australia but no one has the precision machinery to do it. And so you're kind of forced to buy this machine. So of the three things, first thing is tool manufacture, second is prototyping, and third is in production. You need this machine to produce parts in the watches, even in series production. So that's your dial settings, you've got 
cutting out small levers, small springs. Um, pretty much every single uh, spring in a chronograph is made using this machine. This machine in front of us. Correct. Oh. Yeah. We don't produce a chronograph, but yeah. if we wanted to, you yeah, need you to can this machine. machine. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. Right. So uh, it's made by a Jap Japanese company called Makino, and uh, they produce. 12 or 13 of these machines per year. Wow. That's, this is one of them, that's right one here. Of them, yeah. Wow. They produce a bunch of other machines, but uh, of this specific one. Uh, Rolex, Patek would own one of these machines? Yeah. They, they'd need one? They'd need one. If not made by this brand, a competitor brand. Yeah. Um, is but there a Swiss version? Or there just, is a Swiss version. Oh, there is a Swiss version. But the Swiss version, uh, for the same amount of money, so this is about... You can tell us. Better bang for buck. Okay, <laughs> yeah, better bang for buck. Yeah, yeah. This was about three hundred forty thousand Australian, uh -huh. and the Swiss version in that price bracket was uh, about thirty percent less accurate. So, the Swiss obviously make an accurate it's machine, machine, but it costs a four five hundred thousand. Yeah. So this is it. Better bang. Japanese precision. Yeah, that's right. This is the Grand Seiko. This is the Grand Seiko. Watch bacon. So we'll continue onwards. Um, uh, in this room, we have a lot of non-critical processes. Yeah. This machine is temperature controlled internally. So temperature is a huge thing for us because of thermal growth in material. Right. So if you hold a bar of steel at 20 millimeters in diameter, for every degree that the bar heats up, that your body temperature transfers into the bar, it grows about two or three micron in diameter. So if you scale that up, it's a very large machine. If the whole machine increases in temperature by a couple of degrees, the whole thing grows and then you're outside of your tolerances. So temperature is a huge thing. And out in this room, we don't temperature control it thoroughly because the machine is internally temperature controlled. That's why we do some micro bead blasting uh, and, and brass bead blasting as well. That gives you your satin finishes, your um, sandblaster finishes and cases. Yep. And uh, also deburring and pre-polishing steps. Yep. It looks like you've got a lot of things here. Would you make stuff for other watch companies here, or is it just for yourselves? Currently, uh, we're focused on ourselves. So we have huge R&D um, pathways to develop our own caliber. We spent the last two and a half years really doing that. And um, I'm more than happy to make components for other watchmakers, but I've had a few people say, hey, can you make me a new caliber? And I kind of say, well, it's, it's about $2 million in... in R&D yeah. cost and two and a half years. So, um, and then that's two and a half years that I'm not focusing on myself. So I'm more than happy to make individual parts. Uh, we've done that for watchmakers all over the world. A lever or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Or, yeah. or a wheel. Hairspring. <laughs> hairspring, I wish. We don't make <laughs> hairsprings. But, uh, that component's very... Um, that's in that 10% that I'll never make. Right, right. You just rather buy a bucket full of hairsprings. Yeah. 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 Uh, then we do our own heat treating. So this is a special heat treating oven. Um, the whole thing tilts, and that's all designed. To Where do you throw the component? Inside here. Inside here. That's right. That little outlet, and you close it down, right? And uh, you push the parts all the way inside the furnace. And the furnace heats up to about a thousand degrees. How many parts can you fit at one time? Um, a bucket full, like maybe probably ten thousand screws or something like that, if you wanted to. They're very small parts, so. right? But um, we, we harden a lot of the, the small components. That's your screws, your stem, some of your pinions, actually all of your pinions, uh, some of the pins as well, so locating pins and uh, adjustment pins. And uh, the process is that the, the, the furnace heats up to about 1,000 degrees under argon gas, so you don't develop any scale. In the same way that a welder might weld under nitrogen or argon, it's the same principle. And then this whole contraption falls down into a tank of either water or oil, and that quenches the steel. So you right. go from 1,000 degrees to room temperature very yep. quickly. Shock that, it, right? That shocks it, and that hardens the steel. And so this is a crucial process, uh, because if you made everything out of soft steel, your watch would only last about a couple of weeks. But if you harden your steel, if you harden your pinions, and then burnish them and polish them, they last for decades. Because you make uh, watch cases, watch bands, or is it just more internals and movements? Uh, we don't make the, we don't serially manufacture the watch case. We do the prototyping here, so we have the we have the capability of doing it. It just doesn't make doesn't make too much sense when other people do it way better and way more quickly. Uh, watch bands, 
we have three companies in Australia that do it, two kind of uh, artisanal makers and one sort of uh, more mass-produced sort of guy. And uh, the buckle, we also prototype here, but we get that made overseas as well. But then our main focus is the internal components of the, uh, of the, of the watch. So the movement, the dial, um, the hands. Currently we're doing the dial and hands R&D for uh -huh. our next model, so yeah. Okay, moving on, we're going to this room. We are moving on to the second room, which is a lot cooler temperature-wise. Nice. Wow, that's a big operation. Yeah, I guess so. Um, we'll move forward through here. Look at all the, the bits. I think um, we're both obviously uh, uh, Nick SWG and, and myself. We're very proud to have a, an Australian watch uh, maker like yourselves. Oh, so thank you. It's a big thing to be here today <laughs> for myself. I know Nick's met you a few times. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, Sydney watch guy. Sydney watch guy. Sorry, yeah. I get uh, I get a bit casual. Well, just for I get a bit casual. Well, so that our, our listeners know who we're referring. Sure. To. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, Yes, we're actually quite proud to have such a respected uh, watchmaker. Thank you. So Thanks. Great, great work there. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I don't know about respected. We're, we're very young. Yeah. And I think... Uh, well, within the Australian watch community, sure. we're right. very respected. Yeah. Within the Australian watch community, everyone <laughs> loves your dad and uh, what he's trying <laughs> to produce. Most, most people. Most if, you catch him, if you catch him not in lunch, I think, yeah, you'll, yeah, yeah. I think you'll be okay. Yeah. So this separate room, is there a specific name for this room? Because it's, it's temperature-wise, it feels different. Yes. So we, we do uh, our manufacture and quality control in this room. So uh -huh. this is kind of the fabrication room. Okay. Uh, fabrication is a really um, crude word, I guess, to, yeah. to, put, it, to put it bluntly. But <laughs> we chase microns here. So yeah. uh, everything is temperature controlled within a degree right. through the whole year. Uh -huh. And... When we need to, we humidity control the room, and uh, that that's a huge benefit because nothing rusts in this room, and uh, all the measurement procedures are consistent through a whole, through the whole year. Right. How many watches are you making a year, Joshua? Uh, well, we've last year we made um, twenty five NH ones, which was our kind of first model. Uh, well, I, to be fair, actually, we made about thirty, but five were reserved as prototypes, 25 went out for sale, and then we made uh, eight NH2s, which is uh, our next kind of caliber made from Timascus, and uh, this year we're hoping to make about 50 NH2s, and next year maybe 100, so if, if, we, if we can consistently double our production every year, that would be great, uh, but there is a cap, I'd say, in terms of machine time and... Um, the amount of machines we have there's probably a cap of about 150 watches per year that's our maximum um, so that's that's our end goal to reach that maximum and we have a plan to develop a new facility down in the country in the southern highlands and oh, wow. uh, that's our end goal i guess maybe three or four years to buy more machines employ more people and speaking of machines this uh, big gas cone here yes did that require some sort of assembly inside or <laughs> did you just have to roll it in because it's uh sorry how it got in here it's a yeah, it's big huge. machine this is like a cnc right that's a cnc milling machine that's mm -hmm. right um i'll turn it on in a second for you guys to but, see yeah that requires some sort of assembly in here or yeah. yeah uh it's in two separate modules the first module is what we see here and then the second module is what we see behind, and that's the electrical yeah. cabinet. And combined is a total weight of nine ton uh, to make watch components, right? So was, I'm assuming it was on a pallet and it got forklift in here? Not quite. So the pallet was disassembled outside. Outside. And then you put the whole machine uh -huh. on more or less roller skates. And you ro roll the whole thing in, and you gently drop it on the ground. And we had about... Oh, I don't know, 150 you millimeters. You don't have any space on the top. No, you? about 150 millimeters of clearance on, on the ceiling. I use the same process for my dishwasher in yeah. the kitchen. <laughs> uh, we, 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 roll, we roll that in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite as advanced. We need tolerances around. Yeah. Yeah. So this got leveled, I'm assuming got Correct. leveled, set up. Yes. Uh, this machine actually came from the Rolex factory. This, so, this, this machine This machine. At. You guys purchased it from Rolex? Well, not directly from Rolex, but through um, the sec a second-hand dealer for machines. But he bought it from Rolex. It sat in his factory for seven days, and then we yeah. bought it. Mm. So, surprised Rolex sell any stuff. Well, it's... Um, it's a, 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 a machinery. 
they updated their buckles after 30 years, didn't they? <laughs> they went from that tin buckle to a, to a solid thicker box. solid yeah. buckle. Yeah, yeah. The... Uh, Rolex is a fascinating company. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're a charity. Well, n not, not quite. It's, it's oh. a private kind of foundation. Okay. They do pay tax in Switzerland. They do, do. Uh, but the story goes, and I can't be really quoted because it's just a story. That's fine. But the story is that uh, two-thirds of their income comes from real estate, not from, oh, wow. from watches. Because they own a ridiculous amount of housing and, and real estate in Bien and Beale. And uh, I'd say of the three billion, at least a, bit, a billion and a bit comes from real estate. And uh, they've got an insane R&D budget, insane kind of um, marketing budget. Marketing budget. <laughs> and so money every just... Every airport. <laughs> every airport, that's right. Money just doesn't quite make sense in the Rolex world. And so this machine brand new is about, well, maybe... I mean, I haven't been quoted on it recently, but I'd say close to a million and a half. Yeah. And uh, after seven years or eight years, they just sold it. They didn't really want an old that machine. green and gold. <laughs> so every single machine in the Rolex factory is uh, in this color scheme, this deep red and white. Every single machine. So I've not toured the uh, Rolex factory, but you can see some photos inside, and you can see the machines that they sell. It's this color. Like, it's this color. Now, if you need a service, do you call the AD and say, "Hey, <laughs> we need this machine service," or how does it work? Yeah. So they're they're based in Germany. Yeah. The Oh, not the Rolex AD, but the, <laughs> the machine AD. That's the machine AD. Um, so Kern is based in southern Germany, uh -huh. in uh, close to Garmisch-Partenkirchen. You're right, but they have a, a facility here that can, or they send there a tech a out from. Be a service agent, yes. agent here. Uh, there's no agent. Ah. I have, up until about a month ago, I had the only machine, only Kern machine in Australia in this factory, and then ResMed, I'm not sure if you've heard of ResMed, they make no. sleep apnea yeah, masks. Sleep apnea. They uh, imported the One. second machine oh, wow. ever. So there's two now. There's two machines, and every time you need a service, you have to fly a guy in. And so yeah. he flies in business class. Is, and it, is it per hour when you fly on the tech? Yep. Or it's per hour. you got to pay for his flight? Yep. So it's uh, about seven grand, I think, or eight grand to fly him in. And he gets paid 100 euros an hour while he's flying and traveling. So that's, while he's flying, from yeah. the moment he gets out of... From the moment he leaves the factory, you're paying for him, 100 euros an hour, and that's about 45 hours total, because they're in back. It's 24 hours each way. And uh, so maybe 50 hours by the time you do an uh, airport transfer and wait right. time and all that sort of stuff. And then his time here is charged out at, I think, about the same rate. And installing the machine, when we first moved it in, he was here for two and a half weeks. And so if you can just imagine, it's about a thousand euros a day, two and a half weeks, just to install the machine. Why is Nico Cow shaking his head? Man, I should have been, <laughs> been an engineer clearly or something. clearly chosen the wrong career. Oh, yeah. The wrong career path. You come back here, whip out a few Allen wrench and make yeah. that adjustment, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those numbers are quite rough. Probably yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Probably hit a, a button there that a button tells, tells, tells me what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's why I went over to Germany for 10 days and learned how to service the machine myself. Get out of here. Yeah, I learned how to service there it myself. You've got to be proud of such a I'm very proud. I'm not trying to give him a big head before. I'm actually proud to be part it's as cool. a watch lover. It's pretty cool. Thanks to have you guys. And you're the fourth generation? Fourth generation, yeah. that's right. Did your dad study from uh, school in, in Switzerland? Uh, or how did no, he get no, started no. in the family? What's the lineage? So the lineage is his grandfather uh -huh. started in uh, Serbia. Well, it was Yugoslavia back then. So my, my so heritage is Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia. That's right. Oh, okay. So he, uh, he started off in a trade school in Yugoslavia. Back then it was just a trade. It was if you wanted to become a builder it's, or this or that. Yeah. You studied watchmaking. And you wasn't really studied his vocational training. Right. And then his son learned from him. And then my dad learned from his son. And then I learned from my dad. So apprenticeship. 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 Correct. So, yeah. so the name's been shortened a little bit? Like the Vix cut, the Vich yeah. cut off or anything? <laughs> no, or? no, no, no. Hako is the, the surname, no, but it's, it's a Czech surname. It's a Czech surname. 400 okay. something years ago. Okay, okay. And okay. they emigrated to Croatia and okay. then to Serbia. Yeah, so, okay. Well, really, it's all Yugoslavia back yeah, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my parents moved here in 1990. I believe, 93 or 94. Nice. Good year. And so Good I was year. born in 97 and then we started. I remember that year. 
was a good year in 84. Wow. So, so obviously, uh, Josh has uh, spoken at one of your events, I think, or was it his dad? Yeah, yeah, both. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Josh and his father, Nick, came to our Australian Watch Forum meetup maybe about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, spoke about uh, collecting, I think it was, yeah, collecting watches. That's right, yeah. yeah. Dad spoke about collecting. It was a good afternoon. Oh, that, was actually, a, yeah. that wasn't the one in the city. No, no, that wasn't my place. Oh, well, your it was place, the yeah. biggest turnout we've had. Yeah. We had close to 60 people for that meet. So, so what was... I mean, your family moved over here. Mm-hmm. What... Your dad or your grandpa just said, hey, we're going to start a watch company? Or, I mean, talk us through about, like... Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 2011... Well, to actually, to back up even further... Yeah. My whole... His whole life, Nick was a watch repairer. So he was... That's what I thought. I know, I know Nick would be... Father. My father. Nick yes. father. That's right. Okay. So, uh, this guy here. This guy on the shirt. Take a photo of the shirt. Yeah, we'll, we'll all do all yeah. that, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. He was a watch repairer. So he... Um, under his father, he studied how to disassemble and to diagnose and to put together a watch uh, from your $5 kind of Russian... Throwaway yeah. watch, yeah. all the way to your maybe hundred and fifty dollar, two hundred dollar Seiko Citizen, yeah, and then maybe some Omega watches, some pocket watches, and then in the world of mechanical watches, he just climbed up. Yeah. So when he moved over to Australia, he had that skill set. Uh, moving to Australia, he started doing repairs, and then he became a secondhand watch dealer. So that's where I think most of people know my, my father appointment from. only type appointment only that's right <laughs> I used to remember yeah. never never been but I always used to know here appointment old only. school appointment, appointment only. only old school yeah, yeah. so he uh, he did watch second hand dealing for about 20 years but still had watch repair as a core part of the business so there's two businesses running kind of side by side it was watch repair and then watch sale and in 2011 um that industry took a massive hit because Rolex and Cartier were the first two brands to restrict the supply of spare parts to independent watchmakers. So what happened? Is that still happening, sorry? Oh yeah, big time. Worse than ever. Worse than ever. It's it's crazy now. So before 2011, if you are an independent watchmaker like my father or the maybe 30 or so that were around in Sydney at that time, uh, you could just ring up your local spare parts supplier yep. or even Rolex directly yep. and say hey I want this this and this yep. and this I broke this and this during the repair this was broken send me the parts here's the part number blah 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 that's right Bam. and it would be very easy yep. effortless and uh, at one point that was kind of tightened a little bit you have to be a, a, a authorized Rolex um, service technician I guess or, mm-hmm. or a service dealer or something like that and then in 2011 they cut it completely so even the sadder story is Max Schweitzer, who is, um, who's in George Street in, in Sydney, who is a probably one of the best watchmakers in Sydney. Is that the guy in, near the Apple shop or yes, something? That's, that's, that's the guy. guy. Yeah, not just next to him. Yeah, yeah. Max uh, was the service manager of Rolex in, I believe it was Egypt. For a, 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 He's a Swiss guy. Yeah. So born in Switzerland and came over and did all sorts of Rolex apprenticeships. Moved to Australia, ran his own independent watchmaking house, and uh, even he, with 50 years of experience, was denied the supply of spare parts. And uh, the, the kind of kick in the guts to all of this was that my father messaged, or really sent a letter to the service um, manager in Sydney for Rolex Australia and said, hey, look, I want to be... I want to be granted access to these spare parts. What do I need to do? I'll invest in all the benches, all whatever this, you need. Whatever you need. Yeah. Courses. It, 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 courses. I'll go to Switzerland. I'll fly my son to Switzerland. Whatever yeah. you need. And the letter, and, and this is, I guess, ad libbing, but the gist of it was no Australian watchmaker will ever be able to touch or repair a Swiss watch. No Australian watchmaker That's the final will. Nail and that was the nail in the coffin. That so. Was it. They restricted the supply completely, and to add insult to injury, they said that we weren't qualified, that we weren't good enough. What? They said, they said, no matter how much experience you have, only the Rolex technicians can service Rolex watches. Fair enough, if that's what they want to do, and that's what they well, feel I'm, like. I, 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 I own a Are Rolex. You selling your Rolex? Oh, no, 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 no. But I actually haven't. They're fairly new, so I've actually serviced them yet. But 
Oh. What does it sound like? I'm going to have an issue getting him service. He's telling his forever brother. It's not an issue. So the, the real um, loser in this whole scenario is not the watchmaker. The independent watchmaker only presents a very small percentage of this entire problem. It's the consumer. You're it's now consumer, yeah. you're now limited to only go to Rolex to get your service done. And it could be an apprentice doing my watch. It might not be someone with thirty or forty years experience. It could be <laughs> well, could be a, it could be an apprentice that has more, more a monopoly thing. Yeah, yeah. But but it's also the, the, the person doing it. Who, who how do I know? What experience is the person servicing my watch at a Rolex? I might be paying a Rolex price to get it serviced, but it's like my car. I know that I, when I drop my car off at a particular German manufacturer, most of the guys working in there are young apprentices that they're, they're, that's learning on the job. So I might not have a guy with 30 years experience servicing my watch. Yeah. The way it is right now, people will flip something before they get it serviced. Yeah. yeah. Well, Probably I'll make need to get it serviced. Uh, I'll see you later. Yeah. Next okay. piece. The next. Uh, person can yeah, deal with it yeah. Yeah. yeah and we can hit up josh and maybe some makeup parts <laughs> for whatever you need yeah oh yeah big fan. yeah look i need a crown for a 1601 date just well, there you go. <laughs> joshua can you make that <laughs> i actually Good needed luck. <laughs> i actually needed one and he was yeah it took them like eight months to source it i believe you pain in the ass yeah i believe you so from that fairly depressive issue yeah. of facing uh extinction as an independent watchmaker yep. on the repair side mm-hmm. Uh, we birthed this company. So, Dad, it was a family effort. You just had a meeting and said, "Hey, this is an <laughs> endeavor." That's right. right. Okay. So, my dad's father's still in Yugoslavia, and he's not involved uh, in in this operation. But he runs his own watch service shop in Serbia, oh, wow. and, and he does his own thing. Oh, super cool. And he he's he's self sufficient, and uh, every here, you know, son, you do years. your thing. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'll be back back here if you need me. Correct. Nice. So, Nick started this off, I guess, with. Um, with a small team. Uh, at the very start, there was three of us. That's mum, dad, and myself. And then uh, now we have last count. I think. Um, when was it founded? When you guys early 2016. Early 2016. Well, actually, uh, not quite true. We started manufacturing in 2016, but we started our brand in 2012 or 2013. I'm a little bit hazy um, on that one, but. The brand was a rebellion against uh, the Swiss monopoly for the restriction of spare parts. And so we, 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 the, the, that quote was, I guess, buzzing around in my dad's head that no Australian watchmaker will ever be good enough to service a Rolex watch. That, that quote was buzzing around in his hard? head. Yeah, massively. Yeah. And he said, as a screw you to Rolex, he said, well, I might not be able to repair a watch according to you guys. I'll make my own watch Boom. to... Proof to you guys the birdie. That, yeah, here you go. That I can do it, and uh, he did that. He went to the Bunnings of the watch world, which is, I guess, like a Otto Frey eBay sort of situation. Right. And he picked out some components that he wanted. And he just slapped it together and said, "Well, not really, just slapped it together." But he assembled it and said, "I have a watch as a symbol of my rebellion against the Swiss." watchmaking monopoly have you guys attended Basel or something with your own stuff <laughs> not quite yet not yet right not but yet. when you do there'll be a, an FU somewhere yeah, yeah I think so yeah <laughs> a little bit a little bit nice. it, it all comes full circle eventually yeah I love it I'm quite enjoying uh, the Moser guys you know what they're oh, doing yeah. you know they're, they're, they've been pretty cool with what they're doing and they're doing the Swiss equivalent no I don't actually know I, I, I don't want to say that but they're doing the Swiss equivalent of rebellion in the Swiss watchmaking yeah, industry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What they're doing is pretty cool. Uh, and it's uh, Ed is a, a he's character. A great guy. He's yeah. a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've met him. We've met him a couple of times. Lovely guy. Now, are you guys enjoying this? This whole uh, people are getting into this again. Yeah, that's right. So we we did um we did experience a lot of success, I guess, early on from that movement. That kind of we 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 called the model the watch model rebelde, which is. Uh, Spanish for rebellion Correct. and dad grew up in kind of communist or communist gripped yep. Yugoslavia mm-hmm. and his idols were like Fidel Castro and mm. Che Guevara and stuff like that so he, he took that inspiration Spanish yeah almost Spanish not very Australian at all yeah. but the Spanish influence and uh, revolution yeah that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. And wasn't Fidel the quick uh, king the of the double wristy and we sold about 600 or 700 watches in five years. Mainly local years. or? Mainly local. I'd say maybe like 80 to 90% local. And uh, that was our statement. And from that success, we said, well, that was kind of chapter one. And then chapter two was, well, what do we do now? We can't just assemble watches 
now for the rest of eternity. If we want a future, especially a, a, a future that promises kind of R&D and new models and uh, kind of excitement in watchmaking, we have to be able to manufacture parts ourselves. And so in two, early 2016, late 2015, we kind of uh, sat down and said, well, we'll just buy a watchmaking machine and uh, we'll go grab that and bring it in from Switzerland and we'll start making watches. And that was probably the most naive point in our watchmaking career because a watchmaking machine doesn't exist. We thought we'd put material in one end and get a watch out the other. Yeah. Um, and we also thought that we would do it on the fourth floor if, of our kind of like a commercial uh, office in the middle of the city where you don't have service elevators, you don't have three-phase electricity, you don't have all the required things to support an, an industrial manufacturer of a watch. So uh, from that point, we said, well, how do you make a watch? And we realized that no one in their right mind who's involved in, this, in the watchmaking industry would ever tell you how to make a watch. It's probably the most secretive industry known to man. Yeah. Uh, and and for, for, for good reason as well, because it's an extremely challenging product to make. Okay. And all the R&D involved, you want to keep for yourself. So uh, Nick and myself went to some trade fairs in 2016, Nick being my dad, and um, we realized that we couldn't do it in our office in Colorado Chambers in the city. We couldn't do it in our backyard in a granny flat. We had to buy a place, an industrial unit yeah. that had three-phase electricity, that had kind of concrete floors. Yeah. And so in 2016, we bought the premises, and our first machine, which was that uh, machine over there, which citizen. I was the citizen, citizen. Yeah. correct? R04. The my, citizen R04. <laughs> the company that makes that watch makes the machine to make the watch as well. So that that machine arrived in late 2016, and since then we've been accruing watchmaking gear, or really industrial manufacturing gear, to be able to uh, serially manufacture a watch movement. That's been our main focus since 2016. And uh, this is what we do. This is this is our bread and butter. We manufacture. Yeah, sure. We manufacture movements, and uh, our the, the percentage of the parts that of the movement that we manufacture is growing. So in in our NH1, we made the main plates, the bridges, uh, the stem, all the screws, and that was our kind of ma manufactured in Australia watch. Barrel. Uh, no, 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 so no gear train, no so gear no train. gears. That was kind of uh, that was kind of like the next step, heading into the gear train. Now NH two, we made our first what ever is gear. NH two again for the listeners? So our NH one was the Nicholas Hacko one, uh -huh. and that was a uh, time only, forty five millimeter, manual wind, uh, watch on a leather strap. Okay. Made in a titanium case. And we'll be able to take some photos there. For do you have a sample? Do you, do you have any of Not here. Okay. <laughs> but I'll, I'll get you some photos. Sure, sure, sure. sure. sure, sure. So that's the NH1. That's right? the NH1. And then the NH2. The NH2 is the same. Uh, in terms of um, mecha mechanically, it's it's the same movement, but we changed the material from a brass substructure. So all the main plates were made out of brass, and uh, I guess some the screws were made from steel. We moved to a Timascus based watch. So the movement was made from a material called time uh -huh. <laughs> So it's a little bit more fancier. That's right. It's a completely new material. So this material has never been used in watchmaking ever, ever in the sure. history of the world. Oh, yeah. Is it called time I'll get you some I'll get you some samples. Okay. So what it is, it's a freaking cool guy. Man, I love <laughs> you guys have to be Proud, as uh, well, we are, we are. Like I said to Joshua as we're walking, we are. Uh, Fast is it's a big thing. Uh, uh, I was going to say before, it must be a hard gig, Joshua, but, but what I have been seeing is a lot of little independent watchmakers around the world. Like, uh, I think one of our local... Um, we have a bunch in LA too. You've got a bunch Wise, in LA. And I, I just read an article recently, I think, of one of our um, watch publications, and there was so many uh, yeah. independent watchmakers are quite small. There's a resurgence, isn't it? There is, and and that's actually what do you think the reason for that. So the main reason romanticism. No, not quite. I'd say it's much more practical. Wanting than to become that. really okay. wealthy? No, not at all. Uh, I don't think he, dude, this is a hard business. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm just trying to think. Why is everyone becoming watchmakers? So there's, I guess, two types of companies that yeah. I see in the last maybe five to ten years that have um, 
started up. Yeah. First type is the company that manufactures movements, and the second type is that They're done by Era, a Bosch. Well, yeah, the, the second type is where they buy in the movements, right. and the, the problem is that. A little bit like Haas, the Formula One team. That's oh, right. yeah. He buys Ferrari. a Ferrari engine, yeah. he buys this, yes. he buys that. Slaps it together. Slaps it together. Yeah, okay. Correct. And so right. you have, maybe that's a really good analogy. You have Haas and you have Ferrari. Right. And so there was maybe three or four Ferraris that existed. Uh, you do add value to the show. No, I know, man. <laughs> We're not missing you, Joshua. Don't worry. <laughs> there are three or four uh, Ferraris. Uh -huh. That sort of uh, concept where they manufacture their own movements. That started up in the maybe early 2000, uh, the early 2010s, right. I guess. And um, they sort of struggled because the setup cost to manufacture your own movement is massive. Not only that, it's the time and also the expertise. Whereas the setup cost to buy in a Bosch from ETA mm -hmm. and get uh, Shenzhen to make your case and get your dial made in maybe Japan or maybe even Shenzhen or you know source your parts over the world is absolutely a fraction of what it would do to do the other option uh, for example if Haas tried to make their own engine it would be a nightmare yeah, of course you got to do the R&D testing yeah, yeah. blah blah yeah, correct. all that stuff so those two companies kind of and that's how we started we started off by outsourcing all of the hard stuff and and assembling in Australia uh, but we transitioned into trying to become a Ferrari like you gotta have a transition. Yeah. Correct. And so we that transition. Are you there yet? Are you? <laughs> We're never gonna be takes, there. It takes, takes a long time. Every part that we manufacture in this facility is one step closer. And so that's the goal. I like that's that. that's our goal is just to make another part. It's not necessarily to make, uh, you know, a chronograph with mono pusher chronograph right. by 2019 and move to 2020 with this and, that, and 2021 with that. Yeah, so the other thing is it's, it's almost a bit like a, like a rock star. You know, you can, you can sing covers or you can write your own music. That's you write right. your own music. The rest is history. Bro, do you want to take uh, Josh's job? No, no, no. You're an amazing co-host. You can be the marketing manager. No, no, I'm marketing. liking you. No, no, no. You're no, an no, amazing no, co-host. No, 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 not at all. Horological Chronicles is how they in a back seat. No, no, no. Okay, all right. Not at all. So uh, in, in America, yeah. there's... Weiss is a very good example of, of doing that. He yeah. um, started off by buying ETA movements and assembling them in his watch and then moving on to buying some equipment and starting to manufacture his That's watch movements. That's exactly what it is, yeah. And uh, the reason, I think, behind the move between buying ETA Aboshes and uh -huh. going to manufacturing uh -huh. is because ETA, in 2017, I believe, started restricting the supply of Eboshes of movements to independent watchmakers. Yeah. So for ETA, who's owned by the Swatch Group, to manufacture a movement for 200 Swiss francs and sell it to anyone, yeah. costs them maybe, I don't know, maybe 100 Swiss francs per movement. Yeah. If you take that same movement and put it in a watch that in the Swatch Group, yeah. they can sell that watch for maybe 1,000 Swiss francs. So their profit margin is much larger when they internalize all their movement um, manufacturing and, and, and their watch design and so on and so on. So that's great for ETA, but it sucks for absolutely every single other watch yeah, manufacturer. The thing is that I don't get about it, you know, more watch people are talking about in-house movements, this and that, right? I own a, I own a Tudor Black Bay with an ETA movement. It's becoming more, it's becoming, it's becoming more collect, collectible than the current one with the in-house movement. People want the inner movement. You know, it's slightly slimmer case. People say it just sits nicer, and it doesn't always have to be about the in-house movement. I know, I know it's it must never about the in-house yeah, movement. Yeah, to yeah, me, it's BS. That's uh, my personal belief. I don't know. You know, uh, it's a little bit cliquish. Uh, they're trying to think. Probably they're trying to add value so they can charge more. Yeah. Uh, we talk about it many times in LA. It's it's not about the in-house. It's it's how well you assemble and how well the watch performs. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be an ETA, it can be uh, a Vajou, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I understand what you guys are saying, but I think the way the industry is heading that is that in-house in will be a necessity because of the restriction of supply of movements. And also maybe to make you a little bit unique in some ways? Well, I guess so, yeah, yeah. Sure, there is that selling, unique selling point of, you know, we do something a little bit differently. but. Further than that is that you'll notice that there is a price limit with yeah. a Bosch movements, and that's 
I don't know, I'm not I'm 100% clued in, but some brightlings used in how, uh, sorry, um, ETA movements of Alger 7750 movement, and that's pushing maybe like the seven, eight thousand Australian dollar mark. But really? beyond that, really? beyond, well, I, I'm not 100% yeah, 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 sure, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, quote yeah, me, yeah, but no, 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 I'm not expert. I, I'd, I'd wager that nothing beyond the 10,000 Australian dollar mark would make sense to have a ETA movement. At that point, the brand is charging for in-house, but it's actually charging for your finishing, for your hand finishing of the movement, mm-hmm. for the assembly and for the regulation yeah. and for the, maybe the technological advancements, yeah. silicon hairspring, silicon Swiss lever escapement and so on and so yeah. on. So uh, in that sense, I think in-house is, is not really a talk. I, I don't think it's a valid talking point in that maybe thousand to ten thousand dollar range but anything beyond the ten thousand dollar range i'd say it's a necessity because if you want to hand finish your movement you can't hand finish an ebosh that doesn't make sense sense. that's kind of like putting vinyls on a on a on a ferrari and saying like i did the paint job yeah it's like well you know it's like maybe but and there's a beauty to it as well probably you know like Creating your own movement. Look, look, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject, you know. Um, For me, in-house is 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 a uh, is ninety-nine percent of the time. It's just a marketing ploy. Yeah. It's someone in accounting saying, "Hey, we can charge X amount more to develop a watch with an in-house movement. So the development cost is going to be, let's say, three or four million dollars. But we're going to sell this many more at at this price point, and we're going to recover all that cost, and we're going to make a profit." Yeah, it's probably a little bit like that other thing where, where didn't Rolex go with a slightly different stainless steel? No, and, and, and then Amiga also went with a coaxial, just to differentiate themselves right, a little yeah. bit. So uh, th- th- those two things are key to those two companies. Marketing are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Summer, you're a big <laughs> Amiga fanboy. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Coaxial no, fanboy. Come on, come on, come on. No, no, no. No, but I'm just saying, it was a way of those two companies differentiating themselves. And charging various whatever. Uh, yeah, and I think they're trying to do that with this, the latest Speedmaster. They're trying to line it with the Daytona, I think. With the, the 320 movement, that pricing. I think that's what they're trying to do. Josh is just laughing. <laughs> he just wants to get those 20, 25 grand on uh, a watch one day. This know? is admirable, man, honestly. It is. Uh, it is, man. It's, it's awesome. And you can't even tell where the shop is. Oh, it's quite famous in the city, in our CBD. In, in the city. city, city CBD, not, uh, not where we're in now. No, we are, which is... I mean, we had to go through like 10 alleyways to get here. Yeah, and then uh, we had that security, we had to scan our iris. Iris scan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had an iris scan. And to open the double door, it has to be a certain way. That's yes, true. yes, yes, yes. So otherwise, they'll bang each other and you can't get in. Yeah. It's amazing security, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever want to machine gold, I think the security yeah, becomes... Very, true. Uh, very important. So you can obviously, uh, do, do you like other brands? Do you collect other brands yourself? Do you wear other brands, or are you? A, That's a legitimate question. I don't know. Are that you a watch? A, are you a watch lover, or are you? But that certainly is. I know. I know your dad must be. Uh, Russian yeah, pocket watches. watches. Yeah, with the railroad. Well, yeah. unfortunately, I've been incredibly desensitized to watches. I grew yeah. up in a in a oh, wow. in a secondhand dealer's shop. So that's true. Um, at you know at. At age ten, I was buying and selling five five one threes, and wow. I, you know, I, I wore a six two six three Daytona to school one day just because Dad had cool. it in stock. So it's at that point, I think everything becomes very meaningless. I don't wear a Have watch. You don't I don't do like wearing a watch. His couch. His Instagram. No, no, his, no, no, no. his couch is <laughs> has a Daytona. Probably, probably a PC yes. master. Probably a couple of Pateks. Yeah, Pateks. There's got to be a Grail there that you want when you when you hit your you know your thirtieth uh, or your fortieth or. Well, Maybe when you get married or whatever we do one day. Out, I mean, one. very, very um, selfishly, I'd like to say that my own watch is yeah. my grail. <laughs> Making no, my own watch. That's, but that's, if I was to talk about another company, yeah. I'd say that Seiko and Grand Seiko and Jap- high-end Japanese watchmaking is probably some of the finest watchmaking out there. Yeah, look, I, I'm no expert in that field. and uh, You don't I, need to. I, I, don't, I, don't need to be, I don't need to be an expert in everything, that's but... Uh, I know it's in that uh, spring drives the shizzle, bro. Absolutely. You already know that. But I know, I know in our in, in a watch group that I'm I'm a member of that Nick's founded, uh, yeah. Sydney Watch Guys founded. Apologies for the slip of the name there. Um, they love the Grand Seikos. They love the Grand Seikos, and I, we've just obviously just had a boutique open in Sydney. That's right. Which I'll is go. It new? It's brand new. It's literally five months, four months old. Yeah. 
uh, which I'd love to go check out. But I, the finishing, everyone says the finishing is amazing, you know, and uh, that's interesting to hear. Something that I need to look into a little bit more. So I might have to get a Grand Seiko one day. Maybe. <laughs> I'd love a Hakka. Will they get a Hakka watch one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it rebuilt. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th I think that's the Seiko. But if I look towards European watchmaking, I mean, Lange is one of my all-time favorite brands. Wow. Um, and then and you have... Recently in that's right. They just opened a boutique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, lovely staff in the boutique. Beautiful um, staff. Lovely yeah. guys. And the then... Guys, Delwin and... Delwin definitely. Yeah. We all know Delwin. And in Swiss watchmaking, I'd say Moser is, is a high Moser, favorite. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it is, does get a little bit tricky because um, that's all excluding independent small series watch manufacturers. You have your um, kind of Grubel Forces and mm. you have your that high, super high end. Grubel, isn't it? Grubel, yeah, the GMT. One, the GMT. Yeah. Yeah. That does a cool 700 grand. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and so when we start to get into that world, I have quite a few watchmakers that I really admire. idolize I do, I do. and there is a watchmaker who's on Instagram called watchmakerkl watchmaker.kl and you can go onto his site and see how he makes every single component in the watch wow and um, is he not Koala Lumpur as in Koala Lumpur no no no, 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 no. He's, no. In, he's in Germany, Germany. In southern Germany that's, that's a different guy um, <laughs> Uh, yes. He's, he's making A plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making triple A. Yeah, I was yeah. the mic. Triple A plus. But anyway. Decent Miura though. Decent Miura. Yeah, that's right. Uh, KL stands for Killian. Killian is his name. Mm -hmm. And he has a watch company called Cremain. And uh, so far they haven't actually released the watch they're currently working on. I think they did about 10 watches in their first series. And in my humble opinion and looking at it from a, a technical standpoint and from a hand finishing standpoint he's probably one of the best watchmakers in the world currently so Philippe Tafour you have your Kari Vutalainen all those guys I'd say kind of are in the shadow of this guy wow. so really? yeah yeah On, uh, to be kind of brutally honest because I know people adore Tafour and uh, they adore those small independent kind of uh, people have their own you know Favorites. Favorites. I guess he is my favorite. Killian is my favorite. And uh, the reason behind all of that is that he shows what he does. Transparent. He is completely 100% transparent. I've got, to go to, I've got to go on the IG. I've got to check this yeah. out. You do have to check this out. And, so, and, that's, and that's the thing that kind of frustrates me as a, as a watchmaker in the industry. Uh -huh. I see a lot of people claim handmade. I see a lot of people claim manufactured. And I see a lot of people claim like in-house. Very, very, very few people. Let it out. This is your platform. <laughs> this is what Model Time is all about. Very few people do what they say. Right. So one story, and this is um, this is truly fascinating to me, uh, and it opened my eyes as a kind of early twenty-year-old in Switzerland. We went to the company that makes that machine over there. It's called Affolter. All they do is make machines that make gears so in the watch. That machine with the gray and the Tiffany gears green in the watch. That's right. It's, that's, it's called the AF90. Is it a Swiss machine? It's a Swiss machine uh -huh. made And in, what does it do? What's its purpose? All you do is you load in a blank gear and it cuts the teeth of the gear. So it's like a shaft shape or it's already pre-cut or what do you mean by uh, blank? The blank so is... It's like this, a disc, this. like a dinner plate almost. Okay. This. And it and it, and it and it cuts the the tooth profile. The tooth makes the teeth. So if, That's right. if you want thirty-two or whatever. Yes. Yeah. The hole in the middle is uh, part there. of it, part and of then it. Uh, the same thing is done with pinions. You put a pinion blank in, and it creates the pinion. And you can bevel it too. It can chamfer the gear. Uh, you can, uh, but it's already with this machine. With this machine, um, but it's it's usually done either afterwards or before, with the, the beveling or the chamfering. But the uh, the actual gear profile is made on this machine. So we have um, one of, I'd, I'd say, I'd hazard to say there's maybe less than 100 of these machines mm -hmm. in the world. Uh, and I'd say there's maybe 15 or 20 companies that own those 100 machines. Oh, wow. And to make a movement, you need this machine or at least a machine like this. Uh, or you can outsource it, rent it, or get someone to make it gears so. or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. so... One crazy, we went over to this company and we said, you know, we we're inquiring and talking about buying the machine and so on and so on. 
and we learnt about the company and one side of their business, Affoltaire, one side of Affoltaire's business is manufacturing the machine and the second side of the business is manufacturing the components. So they are the, a, a contractor, like a plumber or an um, electrician for the watchmaking industry. And they showed up a graph of their sales in that subcontracting sector and Rolex is their largest customer, followed by Patek and Lange, and then you have every single other brand. So I'd hazard the guess that more than 90% of every single chronograph wheel that's ever been made has been made on one of these machines. And most of these machines are run, and most of those chronograph wheels are made in the Affoltaire factory. So when you say in-house, when someone, someone in Switzerland says in-house, what are they actually saying? Are they saying we just designed it? Ninety percent in house. This, that, the other. Well, there's got to be there's got to be a threshold. So it's fifty one percent. It's fifty one percent in house. It's fifty one percent in house. No, it is the other. The Moser guys went over a couple of years ago. Did they? Yeah. So fifty one percent you can claim in house. How come Seiko never comes up in this topic when they they even make their own lubricating? So Seiko, Citizen, and really those are on oil. They make absolutely everything. They don't go around saying in-house and blah, blah. They have a company that makes jewels. That's all they do. Like a a sister company or a parent-child company that makes jewels. That's all they do. Potentially, they might part-own that company. Oh, part-own, yeah. Yeah. This is is pretty cool, Josh. Yeah, Josh. (laughs) Thank you for for reaching out. It's 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 like a kid in a candy store This is an absolute... Pleasure and it, uh, a bonus to my trip. I oh, wasn't good. expecting this, man. This is this is beautiful, and, and your facility is completely hidden. Yes, I, I like it that way. <laughs> I like it. It's like a bat cave, you know. Little worse, Alfred. A little bit. Yeah. Some cappuccino. Yeah. I don't know. But there's, there's a guy. There's a guy rebuilding an old Falcon downstairs. You yes. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My neighbors. One guy makes ultrasonic cleaners. Yeah. And then the other guy restores old Fords. There's a rally car down there yeah, too. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's, they, an old, there's another Ford uh, rally bashing car there. That's what they do there. It's awesome. Awesome. So we love our cars as well. Yeah, so, okay, good. Yeah. Watches and cars. What, cigars and wine as well? So. Uh, <laughs> whiskey, whiskey. Oh, whiskey. With, yeah, with, with dibble and dabble. We there was a nice cigar dabble. post the other day. If you go on uh, Nico Cav, you can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> a little shameless plug in Dude. Thank you so no, much. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. It. Thank you. Awesome, man. No worries. Awesome. Lovely to meet you, mate. It's a pleasure, actually. I'm Nico Cab and Sydney Watch yeah, Guy with us. Good to see you again. <laughs> again, Josh. Right. I'm going to take some photos if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And with that, we are out of time. Awesome. <laughs>